If you are interested in trying to improve the outcomes for youth who age out of foster care, then this podcast is for you. Hi, I'm Lynn Tanini, founder of Aging Out Institute, an organization dedicated to sharing resources and strategies that help youth who have to age out of the system be able to transition to independence successfully. Now grab something to take notes and get ready for some great information. Hello and welcome to Aging Out Institute's podcast series. Today we have our eighth podcast and our guest is Angela Lippins. Angela is the founder of an organization called Unfaulted, located in the Fort Worth area of Texas, and they focus on mentoring young women aging out of care. Well, welcome, Angela. So glad you could be with us today and so happy you could join our podcast series. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, Lynn. I'm excited to be here today. We are excited to learn about your organization as well, uh, Unfaulted. Could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how it is that you're connected with the foster care system? Yeah, absolutely. So I like to say that I am probably the most unqualified person to be talking about foster care. My nine to five job is as a children's minister at a fairly large church in the DFW area. And so that has been my job for the past five years or so. I have a background in special education. And just kind of as I was going through life and learning about things as I got older, our church is very, very focused on foster care. And I loved watching that and seeing that ministry grow and just started thinking about, well, what happens after? What happens with the kids that don't get adopted? And so Essentially, it was really something that God just put on my heart. It was a need that I saw that I couldn't really ignore. And then pretty quickly after that started being something that I was thinking about, I met a young lady who aged out of foster care. She um, really changed my life and what I saw as important. And it was one of those situations where once that, you know, those statistics that I had seen became a person, I knew I had to do something about it. And so I am truly not a super qualified person to be talking about foster care. I am don't have a background in it myself, but um, it is something that I'm incredibly passionate about, and I see a real need for there to be some solutions. Well, I tell you what, I'm really glad that you decided to devote time to help these young people. And I would say that you don't have to have a degree <laughs> you know, in psychology or anything to be able to provide some kind of support for young people in foster care. Hmm. So it really just depends. And, and I know that there are a lot of churches out there that have taken the ministry, if you will, of helping foster youth to their hearts as well. I, I see that a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm guessing, I may be wrong, that a lot of people who are involved in those programs aren't necessarily from the foster care background. But you know what? It takes the village, right? It takes everybody from a lot of different backgrounds and perspectives, I believe, yep. to support these young people as they're aging out. So I'm just glad that you are doing this in your way. And we'll learn about what that way is here very soon. I want to, in my last podcast, uh, the person I was interviewing, Nikita Ross, told me that I shouldn't apologize because my time in foster care, you know, the aging out process wasn't as challenging or difficult as others. I would encourage you not to apologize for not having a specific background in foster care, because like I said, it, I think we all have to come together as a society for these young people. Hmm, thank you. That's I'm going to remember that. 
<laughs> You're welcome. Well, why don't we go ahead and move into your program? What is it that Unfaulted does to help foster youth prepare for independence? Sure. So Unfaulted is different than a lot of other programs or just ministries that may be out there. There, there are so many resources available, but as I looked into that and kind of what was needed, I the, the beginning stages of this and forming this nonprofit spent a lot of time just sitting down and talking with people who had aged out of foster care and asking them their stories and asking them what was needed. Because the last thing that I wanted to do was come in and offer something that wasn't even a need. So as I went through and did that, I really saw that there was just this huge lack in emotional support through relationships, through mentoring, through family style relationships that are committed to being lifelong. And so that's really what we do. We come and we stand in the gap. We are a lifelong commitment to these girls. We are really focused on young women right now, um, hope to eventually branch out and reach men too. But right now we're, we're just really focused on women. And coming in and letting them know that they're not alone as they're jumping into adulthood and and navigating life. We partner them with a mentor. If they want, we partner them with a forever family, which is a family that's open to either adult adoptions or just a lifetime commitment of, you know, we're here for you. We want to celebrate with you. We want to be by your side through anything that you might go through. And we really just walk with them through those steps and help navigate those resources that are out there because it's quite overwhelming to just look at this list of resources and know what you need to do with it. So essentially, we are a relationship-based ministry that focuses on long-term, lifelong change and independent living for these girls. Okay. And you're based in Fort Worth, Texas. How broad is your region? How how far do you reach in that area to help these young people? Sure. We are fairly broad. Um, a couple of our girls actually moved to the Fort Worth area from Houston. They didn't really have any reason to stay in Houston. They were there, you know, kind of happenstance. They had aged out of an RTC. And so I'll say we don't have lines <laughs> drawn necessarily. We've kind of said, you know what, if we can drive and get to you in a day, then we want you. So we really just work with anyone that's within like the local DFW area within several hours driving distance. And and how do you find the young ladies you work with? How Or how do they find you? They find us for sure. Um, <laughs> that That is definitely the case. We've had some relationships with some local group homes that we've talked to. Once word got out kind of with CASA workers, we've received some phone calls from them. We're also very active on social media. With me not growing up in foster care and this not being my background, I see education as a really, really important component in all of this. And so I'm very passionate about letting people know that there's a problem out there and that they can do something about it. So a lot of what we've done has been on social media and that's, I mean, you know how social media just kind of travels. (laughs) So, you know, people have found us on there and girls have reached out and said, Hey, I aged out of foster care. Can you guys help me out? So every single scenario has been word of mouth. A girl found us, a CASA worker um, or a group home. Someone heard about us mostly through social media or like friend of a friend. So you're on Facebook. What other social media are you on? We're also on Instagram. Instagram. Okay. All right. Fantastic. And I wanted to back up um, and ask, are you affiliated your organization with a particular church or is this that your personal background? 
So we are functioning under Fellowship of the Parks, which is a multi-campus church in the North Fort Worth area. We operate independently, but our church is just, they're fantastic and they really believe in foster care and, and our, our pastor was adopted as a child. And so this is just something that he is passionate about and he understands the need. And we as a church really focus on James 121 that tells us that religion God considers faultless is to care for orphans in their time of need. And so as a church as a whole, orphan care is important to us. Unfaulted started separately, but our pastor came through and he's like, I believe in what you guys are doing. I want to support y'all in this. And so they have been a support for us, but we work independently, if that makes sense. (laughs) Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm wondering if you've ever heard of Open Table. It's a model that's actually growing. It's becoming national. And I believe they're based in Ohio, but it is a program where they work with churches. And it I believe it's primarily a model. Each church takes the model and applies it themselves. But it's just something you may want to look into. It it just has to do with pulling together, like you're saying, these mentors, people from different areas of, of life from within a church. And so you might have, let's say you have a, a young woman who might be interested in going into the culinary arts. So maybe you have somebody at the church who has that background, they could be there. And then you have maybe somebody with a counseling background there, somebody with in, connected to the education world that would help this young lady get to where she wants to be. So the idea is that you pull together this group of people on a regular basis, I believe it's for a year, to help the, the young person through. And I don't, you know, it may not match with what you're doing, but I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah, that that sounds really fantastic. That's that's really, you know, what we believe in is just it it does. It takes a village and we all have a part to play and everybody can make a difference and we definitely work better as a team than we do trying to do things independently. Mhm. Oh, absolutely. Now, the mentor program that you have, who are your mentors? Are they all volunteers and how do you match the young people with the mentors because you know throwing them together might not work. Do you have a process for matching them? Yeah, we do. So we have essentially three phases that we focus on within Unfaulted. And phase one is safety. And basically using Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we look at, okay, we need shelter, we need food, we need some stability right here, you know, so that there is a safe environment to even start anything. So our our step one, our phase one is just getting these girls safe, whether that's pulled out of trafficking, um, pulled from homelessness, pulled from, you know, just an abusive situation, whatever that might be, getting them from a place of difficulty or danger or hopelessness into just safety. Within that phase one, we gently ask and try and, and figure out what are some things that you might would look for in a mentor? You know, what what are some of your likes? What are some of your interests? And we have a really simple welcome packet that they fill out. It's just a, it's a Google doc. So it's really easy for them to fill out. It takes about five minutes. And we ask some simple questions like, what's your favorite holiday? What's your favorite movie? Those types of things. So that some of those more lighthearted interests make for an easier way to pair somebody. So we're kind of getting to know them a little bit during that safety phase. And then by the end of that phase, they have met a mentor and are starting to build a relationship with them based off of their interests that they've turned in, the things that they've told us that they want, as well as just 
us talking to our mentors and we really get to know their stories and ask them, hey, what, what's something that you're passionate about? What makes you qualified for working with you know this specific situation or this one? So I'll give you an example. We had a girl recently come to us and she had given a child up for adoption. Well, we had a lady that was waiting to mentor who had given up a child as adoption. And that was something that she brought to our attention in that interview process. And so that was a great match. It was something that they could connect on and uh, build a relationship on. So that's really kind of what it comes down to is just finding some of those similar matches. And then, you know what, we're also not afraid to say we screwed up and that was a bad match and let's try something else. (laughs) And that's bound to happen. I would imagine. It is. (laughs) It is. Well, you know, it's very interesting, the whole, the relationships, the importance of the relationships. Research shows with foster youth that the, we'll call it a protective factor, we'll call it uh, support, that young people are more likely to succeed. And the statistics really show this if they have at least one person that they're connected to. And it, at least to me, it seems like it may be the most important factor is that connection. And I've actually noodled on taking Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I'll put this as a resource, the, the, the hierarchy on the podcast. But love and belonging is third up. First, physiological needs, you know, your physical needs, then safety needs, and then love and belonging. But you know what? Maybe it's not for everybody, but I believe for for most foster youth that that love and belonging is just as critical as the safety and the physiological needs. Absolutely. And I almost would rework that model (laughs) so that love and belonging (laughs) overlaps those two, because Mm -hmm. what you're talking about is you're helping them with their food, their shelter, their safety, their security. At the same time, you're trying to connect with them. Correct. Because at least in my mind, from my experience and what I've seen, young people, they often, they don't know how to pursue the physiological and safety needs, at least do it in a healthy way. But if they have that connection that they, somebody they can lean on, ask questions of, then they are more likely to be successful doing that. So have you seen the same? Yes, absolutely. I think that it's, there's a sense of almost like normalizing conflict and just working things out as an adult. I mean, I think anybody that's made it through their 20s (laughs) is going to tell you that they learned a lot through their mistakes. And something that I've seen just with all of our girls is almost this sense of conflict equals failure or hardship equals failure. And so we've really seen just this huge need of that relationship being a part of it to say, hey, you know what? I've screwed up too and I've messed up and this is what I've learned from it. And this is very normal to have experienced these failures to get to the point that you're at right here. So I really think that the relationship part of it brings a sense of normalcy to what they're going through because it puts a real life person there to interact with during those those hard things. I I like that perspective. What are the challenges, though, from your experience in the work you've done, helping the young people trust? Time. This is not a a quick, let me introduce you to a mentor, and then you guys have a great trusting relationship within 24 hours. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen with anybody. And one of the very first things that we tell any of our volunteers, anybody who wants to come in and be a mentor or be a forever family is, 
please don't come into this and think that you are the superhero that you're coming in to rescue and that you're coming in and you are just going to change everything. And, you know, the world's going to turn brighter and all their problems are going to be solved because that's not what's going to happen. And you can't view yourself as the superhero or the savior in that situation. And so we really try and explain, give it time, give everything time. Every single relationship takes time to form. So we try not to push that. I would say though, just as, as far as hardships in it, we've had to really adjust. We are a brand new nonprofit. We just started really at the end of 2019, but we didn't start actually working with girls until January. And so this is new. Now I mentioned, you know, meeting the young lady that really changed my life. I've been mentoring her for about three, three and a half years. Gosh, and she's taught me so much. Um, you know, she is, she's been great. She's been honest with me. She has said, do this, don't do that. Don't call it this. And, and just really honest, which I've needed and have really, really appreciated. But I, I think what we have learned through this is you can't jump into relationship and you can't jump into family. It's something that's created over time. And so that's why we kind of adjusted our phases to what they were, to where there's time to work up and build to that. And for some girls, family's an evil word. It's not something that they're comfortable with. And so we've really just learned that there is not a black and white way of doing things, that there's just a lot of fluidity that has to happen within this and a lot of grace. And, you know, let's try that again. The hardship in it is is time and having everybody that's involved recognize and realize that all of this takes time. And that's really quite all right. Yes. You just have to have the patience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you said this is a lifelong commitment. Now you just started. Yes. So what does that look like to you? And, and what ages do you start working with? So we start with 18 uh, in Texas. Kids age out of foster care at 18, but they can opt to stay in until 21. Not many do. And honestly, most of our girls aged out at 18, left, and then came back and said, wait, I can't do this on my own. So we start at 18 and go up to 25 as far as what we are initially working with. But again, it is a lifelong commitment. Like once we call it the unfaulted family, you have unfaulted sisters, you have, you know, your unfaulted support team. And once you're a part of it, you're always a part of it. So those phases that I talked about, I'll kind of talk through that. And I think that that'll help explain the lifelong commitment of it. So that phase one is safety, safety, and just that initial contact with a mentor that is going to be with them throughout the whole process. Phase two is all about relationship. So during that phase, they have counseling available to them for free. They have their mentor that they met during phase one that is sticking by their side. And then we're working with them to find a forever family that's a good fit, that is one that they feel comfortable comfortable with, that they feel like they can bond with and thrive with. And so we really start working on relationships are okay. They can be good and just delving into that a little bit. Now, during phase one and phase two, there's a lot of resources that they need from us, you know, financial support, housing support, food, things like that. And we help as best we can to have them find those resources that are already available. Like 
like I said at the beginning, there's so much out there, but it's really overwhelming to look at. So we navigate that together. Then phase three for us is independence. And that's where they start working on their paying in full for their rent. They are paying for food now instead of being fully reliant on food stamps. So they're working towards what that independent lifestyle would look like, still with their mentor, still with their forever family that is never going away. But the resources that Unfaulted has been providing, those start trickling off and they work their way into that independence to where eventually they don't, they don't need us, but we all need and desire family. And so that's what's left in the end. You know, once they are fully independent, what they're left with is a supportive family that isn't going anywhere and that they have to celebrate their accomplishments with, that they have to go there for holidays and birthdays and for highs and lows. So when I say lifelong commitment, yes, there are steps, you know, that that we're working towards. Our our goal is not to have a 30-year-old that's living at home and dependent on a family. Our goal is independent, you know, successful and thriving in the world. Like that feels good to succeed and to do that. So that is our goal, but the family aspect of it, the relationship aspect of it never goes away. Right. No, it doesn't. And how many youth do you work with right now? I know you're new, but how many young ladies are you working with? We are actively working with five. And right before we jumped on this, I actually got a call from a CASA worker and we may be jumping on to number six. Oh, okay. What's your hope as far as growth is concerned? How many youth would you like to help maybe say on an annual basis? Yeah. So we were super cliche with our um, goals this year and we said we want to reach 20 girls in 2020. And we're definitely on track for that (laughs) if we continue with the growth that we've had I'll be completely honest, I have a feeling that it's going to be more than that. There's a huge need, and Texas especially has a large, large number of youth that are aging out of foster care every day. And we don't want to ever have to say no. And this is where I really believe that the church comes into play in all of this. And and not just, you know, the church that I attend or, or work at, but just churches all across the nation. There are families that There's no reason that they cannot take on an adult and say, I want to be there for you and I want to encourage you and I want to be a part of your life forever. And so I think sometimes maybe it sounds daunting to adopt or to foster, but you know what? If you've raised kids and you did a halfway decent job at it, you can be a family to somebody. And I think we all desire and want that. So our goal is to get in more churches and spread the word on that and train families to never have to tell a youth, sorry, we don't have a family or a mentor available for you right now. We always are looking to have more mentors and more families waiting. Right. And I would imagine that there are so many people out there in churches and not in churches who don't realize what these young people go through. I don't know how many people I meet just on a regular basis who aren't even aware that aging out of foster care is even an issue. Not at all. It's awareness. That's that's so key. Yeah, the education side of it's really important to me. I, I mean, I'll, I'll be completely just transparent in this. I'm pretty ashamed that I lived 35 years of my life without knowing this was a problem. That's that's really shameful for me to have to say that, but it's true. But how could you know if it really is an awareness issue, if you've never been exposed to this world of foster care, you wouldn't know. So I don't think you should feel bad, but I believe feeling motivated to get the word out is a great way to prevent other people from going down the same road. Yes. Definitely. It definitely is. And that's, 
that's really where I'm at. And can I tell you, one of my favorite things, I love going and speaking with groups of people about this, the look on their faces. I mean, you you share just a couple of statistics with them and they're stunned. And then I share, you know, hey, this isn't just statistics. Like, let me give you a list of names. Let me bring this girl in and let you talk to her. And they're blown away that this is a real problem. I can't tell you how many times I've had people go, well, if they're in foster care, why doesn't the family just keep them? They don't know. They just don't know. Yeah. They, they don't have the knowledge and they don't realize that these are kids that are in their neighborhood. Yeah. That their kids that go to school with. Right. Exactly. Now, I know that CASA is a great resource and they try to also educate people on the challenges of these young people. Do you want to call out any particular CASAs near you that you partner with and how are they as a partner and a resource? I will say CASA overall has really just been great. We have a lot of CASA workers that are in our church that kind of got started. You know, as you said, there's kind of this movement and everything right now and people's awareness came about. And we had a challenge a couple of years back where we challenged our church, get involved, be a CASA worker. And they have been incredible because I think those CASA workers are cheering for these kids and they are doing anything and everything that they can to see them succeed. And so I love that partnership. I love what that looks like to be able to tell a CASA worker or even a caseworker. I mean, let's, there's some really great caseworkers out there. <laughs> we won't throw them all under the bus, right? But to talk with them and to be able to assure them, hey, there's hope. They're not going to turn 18 and just be doomed. I have a good friend that is a CASA worker and she has been doing it for a little while, but she said, once I'm done with the case that I have right now, I'm going to only focus on the kids that are aging out so that we can actually work together and partner in this. And so I hope that kind of becomes a norm that people aren't scared of somebody that's about to turn 18 and, you know, afraid that they're not going to be able to help. So CASA as a whole, I don't want to name names and hurt anybody's feelings, but CASA as a whole has been just absolutely incredible to work with. And you have more than one CASA group in your area? Yes, we have multiple CASA workers. Okay, I know there are CASAs like usually have a region or a CASA of this county or something like that. Yeah, and you know what? I honestly don't know which region each one of the individuals that I know is with. They don't actually usually specify. (laughs) (laughs) They're just CASA and that's all you need to know. (laughs) They're just CASA. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. All right. Now I'm going to take a step back. I, I thought of a question you were talking about, you know, your young people and how you bring them on board. Do you have a physical location where these young people come together at all? Do they meet each other? Um, What does that look like physically? Or is it really just more them meeting up with the mentors wherever they're located? Yeah, so our our mentors go to them wherever they're located, but we have get-togethers. We have celebrations. Somebody gets the driver's license. We all get together and have lunch and have cake and, you know, celebrate that it happened. And so that relationship part of things is just as much us as it is the girls with one another. We do not have like a brick and mortar building that we operate out of. The church, again, that I work at has been very generous. We've used it a lot or we'll just meet up at Chick-fil-A or, you know, go go grab a bite to eat somewhere. So we do get together physically, all of us as a whole, and just really try and make sure that the girls are able to meet each other pretty much right off the bat. Because I get it can be a little bit scary coming into something. And the last thing we want is to be another program, another placement, just another thing that 
could fail them. And so we really try and have them make those personal connections. And do you provide financial support? Uh, Do you provide food or clothing? What kind of other miscellaneous supports do you provide the young people? Yeah, all of that. That's all definitely part of our, you know, the phase one and and even phase two before they start working towards independence. There is a fantastic nonprofit called Chosen Ones that we have partnered with and they have a warehouse and they really work to help foster families that may need something. So let's say we have a husband and wife and they don't have any kids, but they are about to foster a two, three and four year old and they suddenly find themselves needing clothes and diapers and a bed and all of that. So Chosen Ones is this great warehouse where they can go and get what they need. And they have expanded that to include our girls through Unfaulted. So once a month, our girls are able to go in and get clothing, get diapers if they've got babies, get socks and underwear and furniture and whatever it is that they need. They're able to go in once a month and get those items from Chosen Ones. And so that's been a really fantastic partnership. And then as a nonprofit, yes, we help, you know, we provide um, and help financially with food and housing, um, transportation. We've gotten cars donated. We have had mechanics that have volunteered their time to, you know, really cut down on costs in order for us to get a hunk of metal up and running and safe for the girls to be able to drive to and from work. So yeah, we really we really look to take away anything that might be standing in the way of success. If you don't have a car, you can't get to your job. And it puts a lot of boundaries in place. So yes, we work really, really hard to provide those resources that are needed. Well, that's good to hear. And I, I think the idea of partnering with other programs, organizations is such a great approach. And a lot of organizations do that. Not all organizations can be all things to all young people. Yeah. So look around, find the other organizations and try to connect with them. Yes. And that's really what we want to do. We want to be able to focus on the relationship part of things and then just partner with other ministries that are out there, other nonprofits that are out there, because there are a lot of things being offered. Absolutely. You just have to find them. Mm-hmm. Now, the mentors that you do have, do you put them through a particular training program, either a curriculum that you've developed or trauma-informed training, anything like that? Uh, how are they prepared to be mentors? Sure. Yes, we do. We have a lady, her name is Patty Rooks, and she owns Godly Grind Coffee Company in Godly, Texas. And it's a coffee company that she opens to employ kids that have aged out of foster care. She is an incredible woman. Her and her husband have adopted, I believe, 18 kids. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Most of them older. They are incredible people. And she is TBRI trained. And so she has come on board as a volunteer with us and she has taken her TBRI history and, you know, certification. She used to teach that class and she has adjusted it to where it's more focused on adults as opposed to young children. And so we have a program where they they come in, our forever families or our mentors, and they come in and they do that training. Let me let me just pause because not everybody may know what does TBRI stand for. 
trust-based relational intervention. It's a therapeutic model that they use to train caregivers of young kids that, you know, have been through trauma and the foster system essentially. But whenever they're talking about TBRI training that maybe would happen um, with a family that is considering fostering or adopting a three-year-old, they're going to talk a lot about tantrums and toileting issues and and acting out. So she has taken that information and adjusted it to, here's what this might look like with a 22-year-old, which has, has just been so helpful to have, obviously, her experience. You know, she's not only trained in it, but she's lived it. And so she's just the perfect person to come in and help teach that. And so our mentors and our forever families have learned so much from her. And then we also have a couple who they're, they're our forever family trainers, essentially, and they're, they're there to walk by their sides and cheer them on and encourage them. And they themselves have adopted kiddos that have either aged out or were about to age out. And so they've, they've walked that and they have seen what it looks like and they're able to sit down with these families and say, hey, here's what we've gone through. So even our training is really very relationship-based. We're all about just talking through those experiences and what it has looked like in real life versus just textbook. So how is it that you are funded to make all of this happen? It sounds like, you know, you do have volunteers, of course, but you must have some expenses. So how is it that you are funded? Yeah, we do have expenses. Our funding has been 100% donation. We, in January, had our very first like public meeting where we brought some people together and just shared our vision with them, invited them to be a part of what it is that we're doing and you know, asked them to get behind us either through volunteering or financially supporting us. We had a fundraiser scheduled <laughs> that has had to be canceled due to COVID, but that's how we get our money is fundraising and donations. Okay. And I'll just ask you here now because the time is right. If any listeners would be interested in providing donations to you, either monetary or non-monetary, how can they connect with you to do that? The best way to do that would just be on our website, unfaulted.org. Fantastic. Hopefully folks will be able to donate something to your effort there. And you've brought up COVID-19, so let's go ahead and talk about that. You have mentors who are getting together with young people, relationship building. I would imagine that this pandemic has impacted your program quite a bit. Dramatically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it it dramatically has. I mean, it's really kind of eliminated that face-to-face that we do. We have one girl that she, can, she has taken this and handled it so well, but my heart breaks for her. So right before all of this had started, she had lined everything up. She was about to go in and take her test to get her driver's license. She was about to go in and take her test to get her GED, and then she was signed up to start her first college course this summer, and it's all been halted. She's 25, and she's about to be 26, and at 26, that's the cutoff of when you stop getting that money to help for college or Medicaid or really any kind of assistance from the state if you aged out of foster care. And so she had really hunkered down and was you know, fast tracked and ready to get all of these things taken care of. And then it's like the rug's been pulled out from underneath her and we're just at a complete standstill right now. I mean, there's nothing that any of us can do about it. So it's been, it's been hard, you know, it's halted some of those big steps forward. It's eliminated a lot of the relationship building that we're able to do. It's all now over the phone or video chat. And then it's just stacked more trauma on top of trauma. And that's, it's hard for all of us to deal with, but I think it's, 
especially hard to deal with when you've just gotten to a point in your life where you're like, you know what? I don't want to keep doing what I was doing. I, I don't want to live on the streets anymore. I don't want to continue down this path that I was on. I want to make some changes. Mm-hmm. And so you take a step in the right direction and it's hard already. And then you just add this on top of it. So it has definitely been a struggle for us. Right. And I would imagine that most of your young people have lost their jobs. You know, (laughs) somehow two of the girls who had just gotten jobs are still considered essential employees. So they are fortunate in that. Yes, we have a couple that did. And then some that were in the process of applying and that's been stopped. So we're kind of half and half on that as far as either losing or we do have a couple that were able to keep their jobs. But then the ones that were in the process of applying, that's been stopped. And I would think that there might be some challenges around trying to get that momentum going again for them. Yeah, that's definitely a fear that I have going into this. You know, what is it going to look like when we can get back to normal? My hope is that they're just, they're ready for it, you know, when it comes to, but I I think our mentors and all of our volunteers and Forever Families, they're going to really need to cheer harder and louder than they ever have once we're on the other side of this. Right. Exactly. Because they'll need, I think, that extra push and support to get them, like I said, to get them back into that momentum to change their lives. Yeah, definitely. Now, I would hope, now I don't know what's going to be happening as far as foster youth in the United States. I know in Canada, a few of the provinces have made the decision that young people don't have to age out of the system during this COVID-19 crisis, that they will be able to stay in the system until such time as it's deemed okay, you know, to, to age out. Wow. That's great. I know there's been some discussion in a couple of states about that, but the one young lady you told me about who had everything lined up, right? And now she's almost about to be 26. I would hope that the people who are making the decisions would see fit to extend that deadline for people who are in shoes like hers. I would love to see that happen. Even if it's for half a year, you know, just give them a chance to get started again. Don't cut them off at 26. That's our hope too. And that's the approach that we plan to take with this is we're going to go to bat for her and we're going to say she had all these things lined up. I mean, these, these appointments were scheduled and and this was planned and intentional and set and ready to go. And something that was completely out of everybody's control has stopped it. And so we really want to jump in there and and say, can you make an exception? (laughs) You know, can, can she still get the money to help her go to school? Can she get Medicaid just a little bit longer? Can we extend some of these services, you know, for her not getting to a point that she knew about resources and knew what was out there until she was 25, that really put her at a disadvantage. But why didn't someone tell her about it when she was in care? Somewhere there, the ball was dropped. And so for her to be 25 and just learning about what's out there and really pursuing that and then it being taken away from her, it just seems so unjust. We we really hope and pray that there will be some exceptions made and that the powers that be will decide there's some changes that need to be made and there are some exceptions that need to be made here. Right. So many young people I've heard leave foster care and they are totally unaware of the services and the programs that are available and the parameters, the limitations. Yeah. And so many young people at age 18 
they're so ready to be on their own. Like, I'm done. I don't want to be in the system anymore. Just get me out. And like you were saying earlier, they find out, you know, this is this is kind of hard. I don't know what I need to know. I don't have the resources I need. Um, can I come back? <laughs> and it's understandable. I totally understand their perspective yeah. when that happens. But it really is a challenge to try to make the young people not only aware of the programs and the services that are available to them, but to motivate them to take advantage. Yes. And you've seen that too, I would imagine, especially if you have young people coming back to you for help. Yeah, very much so. And I think it's a little crazy to think that at 18, someone is ready to be an adult and to do all the things that are needed to be an adult, or to think even that they would opt to stay into something that has not helped them really until they're 21. I mean, why would you choose that life? Not to mention, what 18-year-old doesn't want to be out on their own? Whether they, they're in a great, healthy family or not, most 18-year-olds are ready to just hit the road and be gone, and they know it all, and they're ready to just be adults and do life. So it's just it's crazy to think that we would expect 18-year-olds to be able to make adult decisions independently. Right. I think that there might be some benefit. And sometimes on these podcasts, we talk about what could be done, what could the system do differently? I don't know how this could work, but something along the lines of, you know, you have a young person who's turning 18. If they decide not to do extended foster care, could there be an expectation that, okay, then what you need to do is sign up with an organization that supports youth who have aged out? Something like yours. There's so many out there. You can start living life, but you still need some kind of support. It wouldn't even have to be state support. It could be a nonprofit, but you have to sign up with some organization somewhere. What, what, what would you think of that approach? I think that that's fantastic. I mean, there's such a, a dividing line between what the state or government does and what individual organizations and nonprofits and ministries are doing. And, you know, if that line could just disappear I think we would see so much more success going on, not to mention, not only is there a lack of communication there, which would help a lot, but there's also, I don't know about other states, but in Texas, if a child opts to leave foster care at 18, and then they decide six months later, a year later, that they're not able to do it on their own and they want to come back, there's basically no timestamp requirement that the state is required to get them help. So they could come back and and basically just be sitting there and waiting. Whereas, you know, if this dividing line wasn't there, if these conversations were being had and a lot more partnerships were happening, then gosh, can you imagine? <laughs> it it would have such a potential to do more. And I believe it was one of your recent guests, she actually recommended, hey, the brain's not developed until 25. Why are we trying to ask them to make decisions when their brain's not even developed? And I, I really think that there's a lot to that. There's a lot of psychology and research behind the brain development, normal brain development, and then trauma brain development. And when you line those up and you look at them, it's just crazy to think we're drawing this line at 18 and then we're refusing to have communications with other organizations that could be helping one another. Right. Maybe a better approach could be, I'm thinking of the extended foster care, which is three years is, okay, young people, you're 18. You have three years of additional support and you can take advantage of that at any time. 
if you're 29 and you run into some trouble, we can provide you some assistance, whatever. I, I don't know what that assistance would look like, but the idea is they could use that assistance and maybe it's six months here and six months there, but they use the three years over the next several to help them get launched into life rather than just saying, oh, it has to be up to the age of 21. Because some 18 year olds, I mean, some are ready. Some are like, okay, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to do well. You know, they're resilient. They're out there they're doing it right for whatever reason they've got that track and they're on it oh yeah they might need help further down the road maybe they never need help but to me I'm wondering if that might be a better approach I think that would be amazing can you imagine what that would do like what kind of hope that would bring to know that at least there's a safety net there and I think part of it too is just learning to have those communications and Maybe the state recognizing we're not asking for you to do all of the work, just work with other organizations and let's work together on some of these things. You know, like the the government doesn't have to provide financially for everything. There's other things out there that would love to be involved and be helping, but it's just, it's so hard to find all of those resources a bit daunting. Your website has been just incredible having all of those resources right there in one spot, easy to go to. That's huge. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, that's huge. Such a benefit. And I'm going to guess you're talking about the database that we have. Yes, it's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) And if you know of any organizations that are not listed in there yet, they can put their own information in through that form. There's a form on our website. It's the AOI database. You can look on the left-hand side in the menu for the database. And any organization that wants to be in that database, you just fill out the form. It says where you're located, what services you offer, and you click all of those. You click submit and then with a description and the link and all of that, and then bam, it's in there for youth and social workers and organizations like yours to be able to access. So thank you very much. That's my hope is that it is helpful for young people and folks who work with the young people. It most definitely is. Good. Oh, I'm so glad. (laughs) Well, I'm looking at the time and unfortunately, I think we're going to have to wrap it up. Angela, I've really, really loved the time that we've spent today and uh, so happy to hear about the work that you're doing with your mentors and the young ladies out there in Texas. I just hope that this pandemic ends soon and that we can get back to work so that we can get together with these young people. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Lynn. I've really enjoyed our time together and thank you for what you're doing and just for the time that you have spent putting together these resources and putting together a podcast that really does make a difference. Oh, I appreciate that. And you're welcome. All right. Well, for the folks who are listening, thank you for listening to the end. And we'll be putting out another podcast in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting. Any resources or research mentioned in today's podcast will be added to this episode's show notes at agingoutinstitute.org forward slash AOI podcast. If you have any suggestions for people or programs that you think we should highlight in a future podcast, please send an email with your ideas to podcast at agingoutinstitute.org. Finally, if you found this podcast to be informative or useful, we would greatly appreciate it if you would consider becoming a podcast-level patron on Patreon. For only $3 a month, you can help enable AOI to continue interviewing nonprofit leaders, social workers, and former foster youth well into the future. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash institute. Thank you so much for considering it, and thank you for listening. Until next time.